Today on Focal Point with Pastor Mike Fabares. Let me tell you, when God takes the time to respond to your prayer for insight and wisdom and the will of God, you had better swallow it. You know what I'm saying? If God is going to reveal to you His will, He doesn't expect you to have it half-heartedly. Have you ever received instructions that you didn't want to follow? How about advice from a mentor that you didn't want to hear? Well, today on Focal Point, Pastor Mike Fabares is reminding us that God wants us to ask Him for wisdom. But if we ask, we had better be ready to listen. Our message today is about making wise decisions that align with God's Word, God's people, and God's promptings. To download the free study notes, go to focalpointradio.org. Well, let's dive in. If you have a Bible this morning, I'd like you to open it, please, to 2 Samuel chapter 2. I want to camp in just three and a half verses this morning that give us three basic principles as to how you and I ought to consult God with the everyday things of our lives. You see, because one of the big sins we as people commit is not a sin where we cross a line and do something wrong. We do plenty of those. But the Bible says there's one sin that God's people have been committing for so long, and that is they have, as Joshua 9 puts it, they have failed to inquire of the Lord. God is saying there are situations in your life where you blow it just because... You don't come and talk with me about it. And in this passage, if you look at verse 1 of chapter 2, thankfully, David, back on track with God, he does what all of us need to do. The text says, in the course of time, David, here's a great word, and it's used throughout the scripture, he inquired of the Lord. He said, God, what do you want me to do? Specific question, he said, shall I go up to the towns of Judah, he asked. Now, if you know the context of this particular verse, you know that there is really no reason for him not to. The only reason he was not living in Judah was because the king, the present king, Saul, had kicked him out of the country. He was, in chapter 31, in essence, killed by the Philistines, and he was no longer in the picture. Not only did the king die, the crown prince died, and there was no one else to assume the throne in Israel, no rightful king. He had the memory of Samuel coming to his family and anointing him with this perfumed oil, saying, you will be the next king of Israel. He knew what his destiny was. He knew what God had called him to do. But instead of saying, okay, let's see, I'm supposed to be the king of Israel, not the king of Philistia, uh, the king of Israel who had kicked me out of the country in essence, now he's dead, his son is dead, um, this is a no-brainer. It makes sense, here I go. Instead of just doing that, you know what he does? He says, God, help me on this one. He inquires of the Lord and says, should I go up? Is now the right time? Is this what you want me to do? Before we get any further into this message on knowing God's will, the central passage, I think, in the scripture that helps us really in two sentences capture the essence of what it is to live as people seeking God's will in the everyday issues of our life. It's found in Proverbs chapter 3. So keep your finger here, if you would, in 2 Samuel 2, and turn over with me to Proverbs chapter 3. And let me recall for you some of the details of a verse that many of us learned as little kids. The text is so 
potent here. It's so full of, of the truth that we need to live out if we really want to be people that take full advantage of the privileges we have as children who have a father that says, I just love to help you through the decisions of your life. Look at it, verse number five. You remember this passage, don't you? The text says, trust in the Lord with all of your heart. That's the command, but here's the prohibition. And lean not on your own understanding. Underline that phrase, that's critical. That's really the first step. Don't rely on your own understanding. Now think back to what David was doing. It was a no-brainer to go back to, to, to uh, Judah, to go to the southern part of Israel. It was obvious that that was what he was supposed to do. But instead of doing what was obvious, he said, I can't trust myself. I can't trust my own knowledge. I can make a decision based on my understanding, which is like this, just this little tiny confined area that I know of, or I can rely on God who has all this information. God knows everything. I know this much. He knows this much. I know this much. Duh. I don't want to rely just on this. It seems right to me, but you know what, God? What do you think? And so often we are in the pattern because we've grown up in a non-Christian world and we work shoulder to shoulder with non-Christians and our TV sets and our magazines are all based on non-Christian life principles. They tell us we ought to depend on ourselves. When God says, if you really want what's best for you, talk to me, trust in me, not in yourself taking notes this morning, I guess that's the first thing we ought to jot down. That you and I, number one, we need to not trust in ourselves. Don't trust in yourself when it comes to making decisions. And I don't just mean the big decisions, where to live, you know, who to marry. I'm talking about every decision you face. Don't trust yourself. Oh, but God gave me a brain. He wants me to think these things through, doesn't he? Well, yeah. And, and obviously, God has asked us to think logically about the issues of our life. But just because it adds up on paper doesn't mean it's God's will. The Bible says one of the sins we commit as Christians is not inquiring of God. You don't lean on your own understanding. And David didn't either. And he wasn't happy with general instructions. He wanted specific instructions because he said, God, I may go to the wrong city in Judah. Which one do you want me to go to? And I'll bet you if he hadn't asked, he would have chosen some others. At least maybe Bethlehem would have been higher on the list, right? His own hometown. He knows more people there. His cousins live in that town. I mean, maybe Gibeah, where, where Saul used to reign from. That was, used to be the political hub, and maybe that would make sense. Instead, God says, no, Hebron. Why? Because God knew exactly where David needed to be. He knew exactly what David had to go to to create the right alliances and the right people were there. And God knew. And David said, I'm trusting in you. 2 Samuel chapter 2. It says, so David went up there. Now, if you and I are writing this book and we're trying to give a concise, efficient narrative of what's actually happening, that would be all we'd really need to say, right? He asked, should I go up to Judah? God said, yes. He said, where should I go? He said, to Hebron. So David went to Hebron. Next verse. But notice that the Holy Spirit, who doesn't, mince words. He doesn't waste vocabulary. Notice what he goes on to say in verses 2 and 3. Well, David went with his two wives, Ahinoam, in case you forgot where she was from. She's from Jezreel. And Abigail, remember she's the widow of Nabal who lived in Carmel. Oh, and by the way, David took all the men who were with him. And if you forgot, those men had families, so all the family members went with them. And then they came and settled in Hebron and its towns. Now, why in the world would the Holy Spirit go to so much trouble and all this verbiage to explain to us who all went with David? Do you remember the last time we ran into this? 
where the whole vocabulary and the syntax of that particular verse said the same thing. It didn't just say David went to Ziklag, to the Philistines. It says that he went with his wives, and his wives were from here, and there's where she was from, and from his 600 soldiers, and not only them, but their family. What was the Holy Spirit trying to tell us there? Trying to show us that David, when he compromised, was compromising big time. It had a huge effect. He was buying into this, and everyone else was going with him. Well, in this passage, can you see on the other end, after his repentance, coming back now after the death of Saul, this is not just telling us, oh, by the way, if you've forgotten who David was married to, and if you forgot he had a band of people, those people are coming with him. The Holy Spirit's trying to tell us that David bought into this hook, line, and sinker. It was a full-blown commitment. They packed up, took everything off the walls of their homes in Ziklag, got the U-Haul camels, I don't know what they were, but packed everything up and said, see you later, and Ziklag became a ghost town, because if you factor in 600 people, their wives, 600 men, their wives, and their children, and probably have the old aunt or the grandparent or whatever, you know you've got probably 1,500 is a conservative estimate, maybe 2,000 people leaving the city of Ziklag, and David said, here we go. Now think of what David didn't do. David didn't send scouts. He didn't test it out. He didn't go into Hebron and say, I'm looking for an apartment that's month to month. You know what I'm saying? He didn't say, I want a temporary contract here. He didn't, he didn't send his family to Bethlehem to get to know those people and send a few scouts or a few of his best warriors or his best political consultants to Hebron. He said, if that's what God says, then we're doing it. And we're doing it wholeheartedly. Number two on your outline, if you're taking notes, this is so important for us. If you sense God's word, God's people, and God's prompting in your life have given you his wisdom, not relying on your own, but his wisdom on a matter, then you'd better decide wholeheartedly. You know what I'm saying by that? Jump into it, hook, line, and sinker, lock, stock, and barrel. Any other English idiom you want to throw into that that makes you get the picture of a whole, an enchilada, the whole big deal. You do it without any reservations, and you march into it convinced this is God's will. And you say, we're doing it. You know, my uh, oldest son, he's two and a half. He's just kind of a finicky little kid. It takes him a while to warm up to things illustrate this perhaps say we're walking through the mall and my son as he often does says candy daddy candy candy please daddy candy candy and as he asks me incessantly for candy as we're marching down the the the, uh, the mall there he wears me down and and just so happens let's say I am passing the C's candy store now there's some candy dad can get excited about right and I think to myself, son, you want candy? <laughs> I'll give you some candy. So I whip out my wallet. I go into the C's candy store. I buy a big box of nuts and chews. I peel that big white cap off, and I put that on the bottom. And I get down there, and I find the best C's candy on that whole box. And you know which one it is, don't you? <laughs> there it is. In my book, it's that chocolate-covered one with that caramel in it. Give me a moment here. <laughs> so, track with me now, I'm sorry. So I say to my son, I get down on one knee and I say, son, do you want candy? I got some candy for you. And I take out the, the cream of the crop. I said, you've asked for candy? Son, open your mouth. Your mouth will enjoy this. You will thank me for the rest of your life. Here you go. 
and I go to put that in my son's mouth, and my son goes, he sniffs it, he touches the tip of his tongue on it, then he takes that little tiny bite between his teeth and scrapes a little of the wax off the top of the chocolate and gets it stuck right there and see, then goes. Now, when, when my son does that to me, he offends me. I'm thinking, you asked for candy. I've delivered, man. This is the good stuff. And he wants to sample it, right? Turn in your Bibles, if you would, to James chapter 1. Let me tell you, when God takes the time to respond to your prayer for insight and wisdom and the will of God, you had better swallow it. You know what I'm saying? If God is going to reveal to you his will, he doesn't expect you to have it half-heartedly. James 1, 5, you know the passage, don't you? If any of you lacks wisdom, and isn't that what we're saying when we're seeking the will of God? God, give me some insight here. What do you want me to do? A, B, or C, tell me what's best for my life. He should ask of God, and you know what? God's going to go to the top shelf, and he's going to give generously the best of the best, and he's going to give without finding any fault, and it's going to be given to him. That's the truth. You want wisdom? You want insight? You want to know the will of God for your life? God says, I'll reveal it to you, and when his word and his people and his promptings in your life line up, and there it is, you'd better believe it's coming. But, verse 6, <laughs> if he asks, he had better believe. And that Greek word pistis, is, it's rich. He better have confidence. He better have faith. He better believe it with all of his heart and not doubt. Because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. I love this, verse 7. That man should not think he'll receive anything from the Lord. That guy's double-minded, unstable in all that he does. Do you know what that tells me? God's offended. When I say, would you reveal to me your will? And he brings passages to mind, and I open the scripture, and I call a few Christian buddies, and they give me the same insight, and his promptings in my life get me zeroed up on what God wants me to do. And then I say, I'll try it out. I'll test it. I'll do it for a couple months. We'll start a trial period here. Next time you're tempted to think that, just picture my boy <laughs> sniffing at sees candy. It's wrong. <laughs> it's just wrong. If you ask for God's will in your life and he gives it to you, don't you doubt it. Don't you start saying, oh, I'll get into this partially. You buy it hook, line, and sinker. You do it with all your, your might. Just like David, you pack up everything. You take everybody. You get everything out of Ziklag and you say, we're all going. This is exactly what we're going to do. And he did not doubt it. Wholehearted, enthusiastic, decisive. And that's what the Christian community needs, doesn't it? You know what I think when my son sniffs at something I give him that I tell him is very good? You know what I say? I say, you don't what? Trust me. You don't trust me. Do you think God said that to you a few times? You've shown you, go here, do this, move, go. And you've gone, yeah, I'll try it. Don't be offensive to God. Hook, line, and sinker. Wholehearted decisiveness. If ever you want to see it in action, you read the whole 11th chapter of Hebrews, and you'll see guy after guy 
who sits there in the face of God's commands, even when they don't make sense. Noah, right? Build a boat, a big boat, a barge, and put a bunch of animals in it. Hello? Right? I mean, that takes a lot of faith. Or Abraham, leave Ur of the Chaldees and come up here. Let's go. Leave your homeland. I'm going to take you to a land that I'll show you. And he says, okay. Those are people that decided wholeheartedly to do God's will. And you and I need to make that commitment up front. God, here's A, B, and C in my life. And whatever you tell me to do, I'm going to do it wholeheartedly. Verse 4, 2 Samuel chapter 2. David jumps into it. You got to give him that. It's an incredible act of faith. He says, if that's what God wants, if Hebron it is, Hebron it is. And here we go. And everybody in his band and the Holy Spirit goes to great lengths to show us he's fully committed to this. They all go up to Hebron and settle in Hebron's towns. Verse 4. Then the men of Israel came to Hebron and there they anointed David king over the house of Israel. Is that what it says? Correct me now if I'm wrong. What does it say? The men of what? Judah ooh, came to Hebron, and there they anointed David king over the house of Judah. Now, if you know anything about Israel, you know it was initially divided up into 12 tribes. Judah is only one of those tribes. When David goes to Hebron, what do you think he's thinking as he's marching from Ziklag to Hebron? He's thinking Saul's dead. God has called me to go to Hebron. I know it's clear. This is what God wants me to do. He's shown me the next step in my life, so here I go. And he's going. He's thinking God's going to do what I think he's been wanting me to do all my life. I'm finally going to be the king of this place. Everything's going to work out as I anticipate. He gets there, and the men of Judah anoint him king over Judah. Judah is just one territory. It stretches from the border of the Dead Sea. It doesn't even reach to the Mediterranean Sea because the Philistines occupy that coastal plain. It doesn't reach up to any of the big important cities in, in, in the central portion of Israel. It certainly doesn't reach up into the Galilean region. It's, it's none of those places. It's just Judah. Now here's David. And you have to trust me on this one or study the rest of the passage and realize that I think David handled this real well. He went down the path that he knew was God's will, took 10 steps down the path, and realized it wasn't what he had hoped. And he still didn't freak out. He was content. He didn't second-guess the results. He said, this must be where God wants me. Number three on your outline, if you're going to please God in decision-making and the will of God in your own life, you and I need to never second-guess the outcome. Don't second guess the results. If I seek God, not my own understanding, and God's word, God's people, and God's promptings in my life line up, and I decide decisively, I sell my house, I move, I make the change. Once you get there, if it ain't half as good as you thought it was, don't say, gee, I wonder if I made the right decision. Where would I be right now if I hadn't made that decision? Stop that thinking. Some of you have made decisions to leave churches. Think about that. You've been at a church, investing your life there, and you made a decision to change churches. And you come over here to PCC, and you're a few weeks into it, and you start to get to know us a little bit, and you say, this church ain't so hot either. Right? People pretty messed up. Not what I had hoped. I prayed for God. God, take me to the church you want me to be at. Take me to the fellowship you want me to be a part of. And I believe God called me here, and I stepped into this, but look where I am now. I've wasted three months with these people now. I wonder where I'd be today if I had found that perfect church. Remember this. 
When God leads you to make a decision, his word, his people, and his promptings in your life line up, and you make the break, and you go, whether it's changing jobs, changing churches, or changing patterns and habits in your family, don't you ever second-guess the results. Because David had God's precise will to go to Hebron, and he shouldn't think, gee, should I have gone to Gibeah? Maybe I should have gone to the Galilean region. Maybe it would have been better if I was in Bethlehem after all. Maybe I could have had a bigger political influence somewhere else. Obviously, God didn't want him to become the king of all of Israel at this time. And it was years, seven years, until he would become the king of all of Israel. And I'm sure in those seven years, he doubted, or at least was tempted to doubt, that perhaps he'd made the wrong decision. But as an old friend of mine once said, don't you ever doubt in the dark what God has revealed to you in the light. And he doesn't show us the whole path. He shows us which road to take. And when we take a step down that path, don't, as the, as the thorns start to creep up on that path or the path gets really bumpy, don't start saying to yourself, gee, I wonder if, if I was really reading God right back there. Don't doubt it. God's not playing head games with you. He is not trying to confuse you. If you go to him as a child saying, God, give me wisdom on this, and you seek in his word, and you seek in his family, his body, and you seek in your own heart as the spirit of God witnesses to your own spirit, don't doubt it when you're 10 steps down the road and it's not as wonderful as you thought it would be. Know that God is putting you in a place he wants you to be, and you accept it, and you embrace it. Paul put it this way in the epistles. He said, you got to live a life that's worthy of your calling. And let me just put it this way. You and I, if we're going to live a life as children of the king, have no business making decisions the way the rest of the world makes them. When we rely on our own understanding, we're dabbling in the world's way. You and I have a much better way to make decisions in our life. In all of our ways, we acknowledge him. We're not satisfied with generalities. We want specifics. And God's word, God's people, God's promptings will all line up to give us a clear picture of where God wants us to go in every decision. And when we have it, we jump in both feet and we never look back, even if the results aren't what we hoped it would be. We're confident. That's how kids of the king act. Don't act any different this week. Good advice. When we rely on our own understanding, we're dabbling in the world's way. We have a much better way to make decisions, God's word, God's people, and God's promptings. You're listening to pastor, author, and teacher, Mike Fabares, and this is Focal Point. Well, this concludes our two-part message on decision-making. To download the PDF study notes or to listen to the entire message, just go to focalpointradio.org. Look for the message titled, Decisions, Decisions, Making Sure Your Next One is a Good One. You know, Focal Point is here to provide you with biblical answers to the questions you face every day. And did you know that as you listen right now, you're joined by thousands of others across the country, maybe even around the world, who are tuning in on the radio, the Focal Point mobile app, on our website, or through various podcasting options? All these are free to access, and that's because listeners just like you give to cover the cost. We're counting on folks who share our passion for straightforward Bible teaching to help support this ministry with a financial gift. Now, if you believe in this work, then please give today by calling 888-320-5885 or donate online at focalpointradio.org. Thank you for your support. To express our gratitude for your gift, we'll send you a book about what it means to love God's Word. It's called How to Eat Your Bible by Nate Pickowitz. 
Request your copy by calling 888-320-5885 or give and request the book online at focalpointradio.org. If you prefer sending your donation by mail, write to Focal Point, Post Office Box 2850, Laguna Hills, California, 92654. And before we go today, we'd like to invite you to join our online community of believers. Find us at focalpointradio.org connect or follow us on social media. On Facebook, go to facebook.com slash pastormike and on Twitter, find us at twitter.com slash pastormike. Well, I'm Dave Drewy, inviting you to join us again Thursday when we continue exploring the depths of Scripture right here on Focal Point. Pastor Mike here. You know, it's an honor to be with you every day, helping you explore the depths of Scripture. But I want to be clear, no amount of Bible knowledge is ever going to save you. Be sure where you stand with God. Get in touch with us. We'd love to pray with you and for you. Visit us today at focalpointradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you. Today's program was produced and sponsored by Focal Point Ministries.